Ultra running. The number one shoe on the trail. Really, Scott, the number one shoe. Is that uh, empirical data or subjective data from your observations? Well, I mean, just if you just get out on the trail for any length of time and you just start counting shoes like I did using the tally system, you'll find that the Ultra is the most popular shoe. So, subjective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, subjective. You know, we were, uh, we were just up at Tahoe 200. That's what this podcast that we're going to be doing uh, here in a few minutes is about. And I saw a lot of Ultras up there. And it uh, looks like it's, uh, you know, especially when you're running 200 miles, you want to have those toes feeling happy and happy. Well, they need space. And, and I was running with someone that said, I'm getting some blisters between my toes. And yes, he was using Njinji's, but he had a narrow shoe. And it's like the, the, other, the other two runners I was with, he said, well, no kidding. Your, your feet are smushed together with those narrow shoes. It doesn't matter if you have Njinji's on. You have to have room for your feet. And, and we actually, um, on this podcast, we have a guest host with us today, mm-hmm. a guest host from Ireland she by was, way of London. Yes. Yeah. And she was just telling us before we started this uh, little ad that she just bought a pair of Ultras. Well, we've seen so many people wearing them on the, on the race, and I want to do the race next year. So I usually run in Innovates, and I like them because they've got a really wide toe box. Right. And I have tried the Hoka's. But the hokas are really narrow. So when we seen all these guys wearing ultras, and because I was at the aid stations, I had some time. I was grilling all these people <laughs> on the questions. You were doing your own tally system. I was. I was doing my own research all the way through the race. And everybody just loved them. Everybody had such good things to say. So we went right out and bought a pair. So do you think that um, by training in ultras and racing ultras uh, next year at Tahoe 200, you're guaranteed to finish? Oh, definitely. <laughs> That's what I think. 100%. So go to ultrarunning.com and check out uh, all the ultra shoes. Health IQ. Hey, Scott, some people are healthier than others. W- would you agree with that? I would agree with that. And you look around and you see people taking care of themselves. They're eating right. They go out and they, they run on a regular basis, cross-train, do all kinds of stuff. And you can bet those people are going to be lower risk. And you know there is a science to insurance uh risk analysis called actuarial science. I actually I actually majored in actuarial science for about a month in college. You actually did? I did. <laughs> All right, nice. I actually <laughs> did. So Scott, one month of education really doesn't give me a lot of confidence in your it follow-up quali- statement. It qualifies me, Don. All right. Well, it better qualifies than, me. Better than me. Go but, ahead. But, but most trail runners don't know that trail runners have a 50% lower risk of heart disease. Hmm. That's pretty substantial. So if you're an insurance company, and you want to collect money and not pay out money? Yes. You probably want to insure a trail runner, right? Absolutely. I would rather, yes. So Health IQ has, has put a program together that if you're a trail runner, you can go on to their website. I'll give it to you here in a minute. And you can take a little quiz. Mm. And you take the quiz, and, um, and then they hook you up with a database of all these in life insurance providers, and they'll find you the best rates. That's awesome. So what you want to do is go to Health IQ com slash trn if you've ever considered getting life insurance but you've just delayed or procrastinated you need it take a look or 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 better yet if you have life insurance you want to see whether you can do better with your rate do that yeah go to healthiq.com slash trn ladies and gentlemen 
of the wide, worldwide ultra running community, you are listening to nothing less than the greatest trail running nation podcast on earth. It is the Trail Runner Nation podcast. This might be one of the most interesting podcasts ever. Oh, that's what you're doing. There's a bunch of like old brothel hookers like buried out here. No, I've, uh, I've listened to your podcast for many years and uh, it's, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do. I do own my own bar. Uh, <laughs> every Friday morning on uh, I Run Far, we open up and uh, open up the taps. You get, you record this, aren't you, Freeman? I get everything. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Trail Runner Nation. My name is Don Freeman. I'm Candace Burt. I thought you were on it, Candace. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I thought I thought you guys had said that Scott was going first. We did, uh, but 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 we did an audible. Okay, okay, okay. Start over. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Trail Runner Nation. My name is Don Freeman. I'm Candace Burt, and I'm Scott War, and we have a special guest host with us today, Donna Nicarta. Right? <laughs> Nakarta. You know, we've, yeah, Nakarta. We, we've we rehearsed that many, many times, and it was determined that Scott was best at saying it. And I still it. killed it. And you were the worst at it. I yes. was. Uh-huh. Anyway, today we are doing um, a, a two-part podcast. Not today. We, we're going to be doing a two-part podcast. Today is part one of the Tahoe 200 endurance race that just finished up on, Mon- well, Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm finished up on Tuesday, and we decided to split it up into uh, two podcasts because it's twice as long as a 100-mile race. It's deservingly uh, two episodes. Yes, that's right. And we wanted to cover, there's just so many things that, that uh, we witnessed out there and, and Don experienced out there and the rest of the runners experienced out there that we thought it would uh, do well. And we had a lot of people that were requesting a very thorough investigation and report on this race. So um, today's Part one, we're going to focus on a few different things. We're going to fo- focus on the course. Mm-hmm. We're going to focus on some of the equipment, some specialized equipment that is used on the race or that runners uses and the race director used. And then um, we want to talk about the volunteers mm-hmm. and the aid stations and, and all that. I think that's where we're going to go today. And, and Donna was a fantastic volunteer. In fact, uh, you know, it was amazing to see the volunteers show up at this next aid station, and they leapfrogged. It's like <laughs> it, it really made you feel like maybe you didn't run Stalking. that last. You didn't run the last section because it's the same group that you just saw at the last one. Hey, so, hey, Don, I, I have a little uh, uh, bit of advice or, or, or information for you. It yeah. wasn't the same people. Oh, you were just a little loopy, and you <laughs> thought they were the same people. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of truth. Anyway, let's let's start at the beginning. Um, let's talk about the course. This course is a Two hundred and five point five five circumnavigation of Lake Tahoe uh, up in Northern California it goes into Nevada, and um, I want to start this by saying what Don told me. I think it was, I think it was at mile or aid station one ninety. You said, you looked at me very seriously, and you said, "Hey Scott, I think that Candace, what she did was she looked at a topographical map, and she picked the highest peaks." anywhere around the lake and the lowest valleys around the lake and just connected the dots as long as it went around the lake. Is that, is that what, how you did it, Candace? Well, that sounds about, about <laughs> right. You know, the, the last couple of sections of the Tahoe 200 go straight up and then 
straight back down. So I'm sure that's a bit of what sticks in people's memory. But we, the main motivation was to try to find a route where we could fully circumnavigate the lake um, on trail with like showing the coolest areas. And I guess I always think the coolest areas are the highest peaks and the lowest valley. You know what's funny is she's answering this. She's just smiling and laughing, almost like a masochist would, <laughs> you know, uh, with her hands going, Wah. Now, now, Candace, oh, <laughs> 205.5, and I just, as, as a runner, I made some observations. There's a few places, if you want to make it exactly 200, <laughs> that we could have trimmed a couple of these ridiculous little jaunts up to the highest point and back. I run it along, and I, I could see that it's possible to, to shortcut a spot, but there's a little peak to my right or to my left. And I go, I know I'm going up that. I just know I'm going to be going up that spot. And sure enough, by the end, I just expect anything so, high is my destination. So, so, Don, did you even need any trail markings? Or could you just look at the horizon and go, oh, there's a peak. I'm going there. You just look for the <laughs> highest point, the highest tree, and you just run to that. <laughs> so, so Candace, in the very beginning, on, on the course, she said, I can't wait to show you my creation. And I thought, okay, well, she's going to can't wait for me to show me this route that she's created. But there's more than that, Candace. There's much more to your creation because you created a whole subculture within this running community, a 200-mile culture of volunteers that are have really raised the bar. You, Your marking was phenomenal. The the runners that elected to run this thing are are really dedicated to the to the event and to helping one another. Your creation goes beyond Scott's um, high point and low point, connecting the dots. You've really created a a community of runners that are became very tight as a result of participating in this. And that I think is your creation. Your creation is a, a community of two hundred milers, and it was a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it, and and I can't wait for others to to learn about it. I, I have a question about that before Candace um, adds on to that. Candace, do you see as as you have um, started these two hundred mile races that there really is a subculture? Is it a different type of person that can that participates in a two hundred mile race than participates in a hundred k or a fifty miler or a hundred miler even? I do think it is. Um, that that's actually what I was going to add is that um, with these two hundreds, we're really going back to what I think hundreds started as, which was a community of runners who wanted to do something. They weren't sure they could actually complete, but um, they just wanted to be out on the trail as long as they could and challenged. Um, and and so what I've seen is is a lot of runners like to do these races who have sort of found that that the challenge of just an ultra isn't quite enough you know maybe they've done a lot of 100 mile races or 50ks and they want that next step they want to keep pushing themselves they they know they can complete those other distances and and the mystery and adventure of 200 miles is really intriguing and then you also have um you you sort of have like these people who who i think are a little bit more extreme at least right now i think that'll change a little bit we'll see um more runners coming in who um who weren't before, but like for now, there's definitely a lot of personalities and um, really amazing toughness out there on the course. Mm. You know, Donna Nicarta is uh, um, from Ireland by way of, of London and met her out on the course. She was a, a volunteer, and we'll get to that more a little bit later in this podcast. But I, I was 
blown away that that they would come all the way from London to volunteer for a race. So I want to why why would you do that, and what did you find with these two hundred mile racers and the the atmosphere at the two hundred mile? Yeah, well, I heard about the Tahoe two hundred through, through you guys. Listen to Trail Runner Nation. And it was always something I was really interested in. I've done some 100 milers, and to me, this is the next step. Um, and how we came about this was um, we wanted to go on holiday. And I thought, California, it's a beautiful place to go the on Bah-ha- holiday. The Bahamas is nice, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we've never, well, um, I've been to the, the States, but, but my boyfriend Ludo hadn't. And I was like, Let, let's go to the States. It's, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be in California. It's going to be good weather. It's got some awesome scenery. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. So, I, so there's this race. <laughs> <laughs> he, he bought off on it first, and then you added. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I said, you know, I, I really want to run this race, but I think we need to get out there and, and, and have a look at it first. We need to, to go out to do a bit of research, find what it's about uh, before we actually go out and do it. And, and it's just been amazing. What we've learned since we've been here has just been totally amazing. What what um, what surprised you the most after thinking about it in your mind and actually being at the race? Um, at the after party, they brought up everybody who ran the Bigfoot and the Tahoe 200. I can't believe how many people r- like did both those races. <laughs> That's like, it just goes to show that this isn't something they do once and then they just that's it. They go off and, and do something else. They come back time and time again. So I thought that was just so awesome. Hey, hey Candace, um, who was who was the guy that was finished? Um, he's run like six Tahoe two hundreds or five Tahoe two hundreds. Yeah. So um, Rick Aricato is maybe the guy you were talking about. I think he's so. Done, yeah. Yeah. He's done all of um, my Tahoe two hundreds and and the Bigfoot races. So uh-huh. I think it's a total of like six it's amazing yeah so what i've noticed and actually donna i think this is really what's so interesting that you brought up is that people it's not like this is such a huge challenge you can't do it multiple times a year i mean not everybody would want to or could or would have the time um but we do see a lot of people doing multiple ones um multiple 200s and i think that the reason they can is because the pace is a little slower um and and you really learn how to take care of your body, food intake, water, and you can sleep. So it's really like, um, for a lot of people, it's a multi-day vacation where they get to be out on the trail for up to four days. And you, you just can't really find that kind of setting. I mean, there's stage races, but then you have to stop at a certain point. Um, but with these, you can sort of decide. You can design your own um, running vacation within this four-day setting you can push yourself as hard as you want or like some <clears throat> excuse me like some people they'll, they'll they'll have as many beers as they can at the aid station they'll hang out <laughs> for hours they'll sleep and then they you know they move fast enough between aid that that they're able to do you know they spread it out that f- full four days it's really cool so, uh, speaking of beer i i heard that there was a runner out there that was drinking beer at every aid station is that his yes. the way to carbo load for him? I mean, I think it was a sweeper. 
So he was. No, no, we had a guy. We had oh. a guy that came in, oh. and oh. we had to we had to kick him out of the aid station because <laughs> I was like, I want to get some sleep before we we have to go up and sweep now. Uh, Philippe, I think his name is, and we were like, yeah, you need to move this on. <laughs> this is only at mile forty four. I'm like. You know, you've got a few more miles so, so, to run. So, so is it just like, you know, having a, a beer to quench the thirst or are they getting... They only had one. Okay, so they're, they're not intoxicated <laughs> yeah, they while it. they're running down the road. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I mean, people, uh, not everybody, but a lot of people do love to have uh, a beer at the aid station and it's relaxing and they can sit back. And, um, and I guess it also helps you, um, your electrolyte levels um, steady. So you'll have to excuse the dog barking here. <laughs> you know, everybody listening to the podcast that's running while they're listening is like, they keep looking behind them to make sure that the dog's not going to jump on them. As long as it's not a bear. <laughs> well, oh, speaking of bears, so we, uh, I had a bear break into my garage. It literally break, broke a hole, uh, excuse me, a huge hole in the garage door. Um, the night before I came back, got into all the garbage so who knows? Maybe she's barking at that. You better go check, Candace. <laughs> yeah, I'll go check. So let, let's uh, let's um, talk about the aid stations. Um, um, this is a little bit different than a, a, a 50K, 50-miler, 100-miler, 100K or whatever. Um, the aid stations are much further apart. In fact, as mm-hmm. I was looking at the, the course description, I think – they averaged, what, like 15 miles, 20 miles well, apart? Is that what you remembered on? Well, I, I know that somewhere 20, you know, there's some 20-mile apart. And so that's a, that's, a, that's a measurable distance when you're, so you're self-supported through those 20 miles. And at that pace, with that elevation, that could be six hours of running, you know, seven hours of running right. or hiking slash run. Well, and that's why uh, the other thing that I think is very unique about this is I was watching some of the runners come through um, the aid stations is they're carrying more gear. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody had a pack on, um, you know, everybody had that pack full of lots of water. They had jackets, they had multiple headlamps, they had uh, lots of nutrition, all sorts of stuff. And so I, I, because the aid stations are a little bit further apart than a typical race, um, you're you're relying on what you have with you a little bit more than in a typical race. And, and, and that's part of the challenge because you're in... in an area that isn't highly populated. There's not a lot of campsites. And, and part of the great adventure is sustaining yourself through that next section. It's not like there was supposed to be an aid station there and, and you just missed it. It was You knew what you were up against. And that remoteness um, makes part of the excitement. It's part of the cool challenge. I think that was one of the things that I learned as a volunteer, that it's really, really good to know the course, to know how much is in between these aid stations. And there are drop bags at every single aid station. Yeah. So you didn't have to carry everything all the way around. If you were strategic and you planned, you could have certain things at certain aid stations. And it's so much easier than having to carry everything. Well, and the one thing that I noticed was you had to plan a little bit better. So like Don was saying, if you have 20 miles between point A and point B aid station and it's 11 o'clock in the afternoon, you may think... I don't need that jacket, but you better put the jacket in there because the sun's going to be down by the time you meet that next aid station. You have to plan a little bit more. I mean, you think, oh, I better have that headlamp in, even though it's noon. Yeah, you take blocks that are seven hours apart and, you know, fast forward. A lot of things change in the day in seven hours, you know. Yeah, I think one of the things (laughs) that we did learn as well is that um, 
the thing with gear is you need really, really good gear. You need to be prepared with the right stuff. And I would definitely sacrifice uh, to get something lightweight in terms of jackets and gear and head torches and something that's going to last rather than carrying two, three batteries so that I can carry more water and more food mm -hmm. because that stuff you can't, you can't get out there. Um, the, the gear and stuff, you know, if you have that prepared, you're, you're going to do a lot better. Yeah, and that's really too why we recommend people always have a jacket with them, like just a lightweight one, because it, the distances between some aid are longer, or and because it is such such a long event in general, you may um, a section may take longer than you think. Maybe something starts to hurt, or um, or you just want to slow down a bit. So we have like a whole list of recommended gear, um, and and I always say you know always have a headlamp with you. Um, because, you know, that way you won't be caught in the dark, <laughs> literally. Yeah, we did give out a few uh, bin liners. You call them bin liners here? The rubbish oh, bags, trash, trash bags. Trash bags. Yeah, there was a few mere jackets <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, on, on route. Did, did you plan on that, Candice? Do you, do, do you have extra trash bags at the aid stations in case someone didn't uh, bring a jacket? I, I hadn't thought of that, actually. <laughs> no, no um, we, we have extra trash bags for, for the trash, mostly. <laughs> But, but no, I, I love I love the um, the different words too that you have Donna for like you call them head torches <laughs> like stuff like that we call them headlamps. <laughs> not great. not a not a trail runner nation, Candace. We call them torches. Oh, do you? Yeah, yeah we do. You do don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah Warren Pole got get us to, up to speed on that pretty quick. You're very European. Yeah, yeah thanks. Uh, that's that's why I sleep in spandex. <laughs> so so um one of the things we talked about just the the subculture and the people um the runners here's one of the things that, that i noticed because we were going to be out there for you know three to four days and because the distances between some aid stations were longer that we became fast friends very quickly we began to learn the names of the people around us what they did who they were uh, just kind of what kind of occupation they had or family members or size. And we learned that stuff and became important to us. And then when we would run with another individual, either behind us or in front of us, as things get mixed through the, through the, through the days, um, we would talk about the others. Have you met Phil? You know, the guy, <laughs> the guy that's from Australia, that's a journalist in New York. He's got real um, curly hair, long, and he wears red, white, and blue shorts. Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great climber. And so we learned one another very well because um, I felt there was a sense of needing to um, to uh, link up and to protect one another because there was some uncertainty out there. It's 205 miles. So what might happen? And we felt we needed to become a real tight community. You know, you mentioned at the end of the race, I remember, you probably don't remember this because you were a little whoopy. But, Test me. But, but, but you said <laughs> one thing that is, is very different, the, of course, the, the, the pack that's on the peloton and the, the first of the pack, they're probably racing. Sure. But the rest of them, you'd, you said in a 200-mile race, your experience was, is you're out there helping each other make it through the race. Um, whereas at some of these shorter distances, it, it, maybe you're just out there just being completely selfish and, and getting yourself to the end. Whereas I thought it was amazing when, when you came in at one uh, uh, mile 190, you were like tight with these two other racers that you mm -hmm. spent most of the time with. And, and, 
at the end of the race, they wanted to make sure that you, ex- you know, exchanged email addresses and, mm-hmm. and so that you could stay in touch. I just think that's bizarre. Oh, yeah. I, I, I've in made, a good way. In a good way. Yeah. I know. I, I think I've made some very, very good friends. And, and you do, I think, in life when you go through something and it's very challenging and you, you team up to get through, you can fast forward a, a friendship in a deep way, in a very quick way. And you learn the character of people and you've... They demonstrate their their ability to to serve and be friends, Candace. Yeah, one thing I, I really notice in the two hundreds, um, obviously, there's always going to be some people competing up at the up at the top of the race, um, and even you know within the race. But it feels more like two hundreds are more of uh, an adventure, less mm-hmm. of a race, um, an endurance run. So it's an accomplishment for each person whether they finish, you know. This year, um, first place was 59 hours and three minutes, new course record. Or, you know, all the way up to, you know, Starchy coming through 100 hours, 36 minutes. So it's like within that that um, setting, I think people can um, have, can win sort of just by, by finishing and by making friends and enjoying the experience. I'm going to steal a term that you used, Candice, that, that stuck with me. And you said it was, it's like an organism that moves through the course. It, it's a life of it on its own that just morphs through this whole course. And, and people change places and, and link arms and support one another, whatever it might be. And the organism is well beyond just the runners, but it's also the support staff and the, and the feet, um, the foot specialist. And, and your aid stations were full of qualified people to work on feet. I, usually you just hope and cross your fingers that maybe you'll find somebody that knows left from a right foot that's uh, medical aid. But you had people that knew what they were doing at each aid station, which I thought was phenomenal. How do you find these people, Candace? Yeah, well, you when you find them, you um, create a relationship with them, and, um, you know, they're important to the race. They're, I mean, I think the medical volunteers um, and the people who run the aid stations are uh, year after year, those are the people who sort of know what they're doing, we want them back. And so we really try to um, create a race where the volunteers are honored and taken care of and um, and appreciated um, for what they do. Yeah, the medics were, were awesome at all of the, the aid stations. And um, they have, I'm not sure if they've done it yet, but they were starting a Facebook group because there's some nasty photos out there. They were taking <laughs> all a, photos a, on the worst feet. A Facebook group for the aid station volunteers. Nice. Yeah, all of these photos. They were, and they kept trying to show me all of these photos and these videos of people bursting uh, blisters. It was disgusting. I was like, I don't want to see any of this. But they were, they were totally brilliant. And, and one guy would take, we had a guy called um, Travis. And uh, somebody came in and they were wearing hokas. Uh, now, Travis is like a barefoot runner. He does these earth earth runners. And uh, the guy was sat down, and he was like, my feet are killing, they're killing. And he was like, I need to open up the hocus. And everybody came in and was like, no, don't do it. Travis got the knife right out of his pocket, and he's like, I'll cut them open. I'll do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> and we were like, no, no, no. He cut the toes right yeah. open, yeah. And then put a bit of uh, duct tape to hold them together. He was never been so happy. It was like a dream came true for him. So it worked for him. It worked. It really worked. Interesting. Interesting. That is a technique I've seen people use. I, I actually had to do it once uh, on a fast packing trip. Always bring a knife with you. Yeah. Because sometimes uh, if your feet swell up or maybe you started with shoes that were too narrow, um, you could just sort of break the <laughs> shoe open and 
Yeah, it's it's a good technique. Yeah, I've cut I've cut holes in my shoes where I start feeling a hot spot. Yeah. Instead of you know, I'll just I'll I'll drill a hole in that with my knife in a heartbeat. Huh. Yeah. Anything. Did you have something? I wanted to talk about aid stations. Okay, just let's talk about that, and then and then I like to talk about course marking and yeah. uh, one of my fears of being a person that could get lost in his own own house. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one of the unique things of uh, a two hundred mile race and aid stations are sleep stations. Yeah, yeah. And throughout the the course, there are sleep stations, um, and I. I in my mind, I think I envisioned these a little bit differently than what they were. But Candace had set up really nice sleep stations. There were tents with these nice air mattresses and bales of wool blankets. Oh, those blankets are the nice. You know, you should sell those blankets <laughs> because they're warm, they're comfortable. They were the greatest luxury on earth. You know, Don, you could have covered yourself with with a, a, a chain link fence and thought that they were the best thing in the whole world true because you were laying down if you let me lay down with a chain link fence yeah so so tell us about how you strategized sleep stations and and how far you put them apart and why is there a five-hour limit explain to us a little bit about sleep stations candace well, um, the first year we s sort of set them trying to do like, you know, 40 to 50 miles apart, starting at um, the Sierra at Tahoe, which is the first cruise station, mile 60 for, for um, the Tahoe 200. And um, then the next year I got some good feedback from the aid stations, um, depending on how long the sections were between aid after about like mile 80. People needed to sleep more, like if it was a 20-mile section. So we ended up putting a sleep station at Armstrong Pass um, and a few other spots that we hadn't had them. So now we have six stations uh, along the way where we have um, like eight to ten-person tents. And then we'll put anywhere between, you know, at a time there'll be one, one to five people usually in one of those tents. So there's enough room. Um, people also sleep in RVs and vans and stuff depending on if they have crew. Um but yeah, we sort of um, based it off of uh, feedback we get each year. And I think we have it nailed down now uh, with the Tahoe 200 on, on where to have those stations so that people can get rest. Because when people need to sleep, they're going to sleep. So we don't want them to have to sleep in the bushes <laughs> for that kind of thing. Which, which, which I did. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, not, it's not necessarily that bad either, right? There's, there's plenty of us, I think, that just along the trail, along the way, said uh, a cat nap would be nice. And you look down for something that isn't sharp to lay on. You make sure there aren't any spiders or ants crawling around. And my trekking poles became a wonderful pillow. And if you ever wonder <laughs> if you're truly tired, if you can lay down on some dirt and a trekking pole and smile, you know you're ready to lay down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, now, here's one of my problems with, with lying down in, in fatigue. And, and maybe I should save that for part two. But I'll just kind of give a, a sense of where Tease we might us. be going Tease with part two. I would stand up after a, a sleep and then forget which direction I had traveled. Mm. Was I going this way or this way on the trail? And I needed to create a system of putting, putting my poles the pointed <laughs> direction, the direction I need to go. I needed a system so that I would be completely confident. Because when you stand up and you've been groggy, and that rock looks a lot like the last rock. And I'm going to get into some hallucinations on part two. Let me tell you. There, it's almost worth price of admission just for, <laughs> just for the hallucination. We're experience. charging double for part two. Oh man, I'm telling you. So, 
Um, there so, was the the sleep uh, the sleep stations were critical and brilliant, and we improvised with one. Here's the aid station to your theme, Scott. The dedication of an aid station worker and the radio contact that uh, Candace has put in place. We had a makeshift aid station at Tahoe City. I know I'm sure you've heard about it, Candace. We were it was just cold in that area, and all of a sudden blankets showed up and extra stuff, and and we accommodated a, a number of people that that needed an aid station at that point, and boom, all of a sudden there was an, a new sleep station with this delivery of these wool blankets. Yeah. Yeah, we actually, um, we send the blankets to every aid station with some extra mats just mm. in case, but Tahoe City is a little hard to do a sleep station. It's it, That aid station's in the parking lot of the Bridge Tender restaurant, so there's not <laughs> quite as <laughs> much space. It's a little more public. Um, yeah, I just I wonder what those uh, restaurant goers thought. <laughs> I think a bunch of bunch of vagabonds are sleeping in the parking lot. <laughs> oh, and and at the finish line too, we had this huge circle of chairs, and as the finishers kept coming in, you just kept getting more blankets on chairs, and there would just be like blanketed sleeping unidentifiable people <laughs> on the ground in chairs. Uh, uh, you know, we send them up in the. At, at the Tower 200, we have the Homewood Lodge, so you can go up um, up there and sleep too. But it's pretty pretty funny to see if you don't know what's going on. One of the things that I appreciated as a pseudo-crew guy was the access to these aid stations. I think all most of the aid stations crew had access to, and then I'll throw this in there, Armstrong Pass, it's up a pretty crazy dirt road for I don't know, <laughs> five miles or so. I found the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it was well marked yes. for the crew. Oh, really? Yeah. At the, at where, where the turnoff is, there's not a, it's, it's a undesignated road and they had bright pink signs that said Tahoe 200. And then as you drove up there, there would be the, the, uh, marking ribbons, so you knew you were going the right direction. So I, I, I appreciated that because it was very easy to get to a- each aid station. Yeah, we had one guy that had uh, three RVs following what? him. Three RVs? One guy? One guy. Uh, he was the guy, <laughs> in the, uh, the tall guy with the shorts. The oh, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Yeah, yeah that the, guy. Guy, the guy in the running shoes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, with the American shorts. I think he was Australian. Oh. Oh, I don't yeah, know how yeah. he managed to get three RVs That's from still. Australia. Yeah. yeah. And wow. every aid station that we were at, these three RVs would roll in. Wow. And we were like, where is this? He had groupies. He had total groupies. <laughs> and then you had other people that had no crew <laughs> whatsoever. They were doing the whole like thing. Like Don. Like <laughs> No crew, no pacers, no nothing. So just the difference between, you know, the, the, the two runners. And we also met some, some people that were crewing completely, people they've never met before. Hmm. I don't know how they that's got it awesome. together, but I was like, that's so fantastic. They just said, we love to crew. We love to be out here. We love to help people. And there was a, a runner and he didn't have anybody to help. So we jumped in and I just thought that was fantastic. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. So uh, regarding trail marking, one of my, one of my yeah. concerns, because I've never run the complete trail and, and I didn't study the map really. And I knew there was a lake involved. Um, <laughs> I knew that was important to know. <laughs> if your feet start getting wet, turn around. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. <laughs> and so I was concerned about, you know, being out there for that long and, and making a wrong turn because that's very easy to do. 
but the the marking and they're called yeah, dragons. Um, Is that right, Candace? They're not called ribbons. Tell us why they're dragons. And we have to entertain ourselves somehow. <laughs> so we we come up with all sorts of names for the different course marking supplies. But um, but yeah, the ribbons are called dragons because it's we have a clothespin, and then uh, attached to that are. Um, uh, pink and orange ribbons and so it, it sort of looks like a dragon's mouth on the clothespin with with like the fire and yeah it, so they're and they're reusable um hmm. so uh, yeah that's sort of where the, the name dragon originated and what what are, what are the people called that are that are the course markers I, you, you the, mentioned the, that to me the course marking people i don't think they have a name there's <laughs> Oh, I thought you had oh, a name for them. Well, or they have a yeah. People a sh- do you give, give them something. Uh, we give out um, awards oh, for people who help course mark. Um, we do call. You know, it's sort of a long story, but and I can't tell you unless you course mark. But we have names for the the um, strings we use around our bodies that the dragons mm-hmm. hang off of. So if you want to find out what that is, you'll have to come course mark. Yeah, I know. Ooh, nice teaser. Yeah, we got, we got to sweep some of the, the course from 44 to 62 and then from the last aid station, 190, to, to the finish. And they're little close. We call them close pegs in, in, in Ireland. Uh, and the little close pegs are so easy when you're, when you're picking up. It's so much quicker than yeah. to untie the ribbons. So oh, right. we'll be bringing that back to, to the UK. Mm-hmm. So, so did you, Donna, did you have one of the strengths? Do you know what they're called? And we won't <laughs> ask you, you because, we, you. you know, we, I can't tell you, that. you can't tell us. <laughs> Sworn to secrecy. <laughs> and, and you could have a line next year, Candace, of people saying, yeah, I want exactly. to volunteer. I want a course mark because yeah. I need to know what that string is called. So what, what do you think? Do you think it would be easier to spot your course during the day or during the night? Scott, what do you think? A night. Night, you think? Night, because I know that, the, that those dragons have a little reflective thing on it. They not only have a reflective thing, but the tape itself, one of those are reflective. And if you take a, a strong headlamp, with you the Petzl now, and you just cast it out there in the strongest beam, those things will shine and present themselves in places you'd never see them in the daytime because you have to pick up on the color in the daytime. Yeah. At night, you just look for this glowing fire coming from a dragon. Well, also, when we were doing the sweeping, the views are so awesome. You come around a corner and it, you look out onto the lake, or you see, and you're just so awed by it that you forget that I have a ribbon to pick up. So yeah. <laughs> I think it's Distracted. easy to go off course. The, the other thing that I thought was just a uh, uh, well, I, I really liked Candace's signs because if instead of somebody just putting a stick or putting some flower that this isn't the right way, she gives you a full-on sign that, that yeah. is a big X, a box with an X through it that says wrong way. It's <laughs> not real hard to find whether that's... And it gives you a lot of confidence because it's, it's a, a great yellow sign that's that's pounded into the ground. So I, I am surprised um, that more racers are not lost on this on this uh, uh, 200 miles because you're a little loopy. I mean, yeah, you can have a pacer, but some of those pacers are a little loopy. Yeah. And I, I don't... You didn't lose anybody this year, did you? No, At least no. for any extended well, so, amount, um, amount of time. There isn't somebody still out there, is there? There's intersections <laughs> or sections where people take our dragons um, or our signs off. So there was one early on um, where there it was like a T intersection. And some people did go the wrong way. Um, but what we do is we really... And this is unusual about 200s as well, is we 
give people instructions on here's how you download the whole map onto your phone. It'll work on airplane mode so you can check it at any time because we do know it's at 205 miles and things can happen out there on the trail. Um, and having a map is a great idea as well. So there's there are backup plans. Um, some people will also have the handheld GPSs. It's a lot more expensive um, than using your cell phone, but again, it's if you know how to use it, they're, they're great. You know, let's get into equipment. Um, Don, you used the Jaya, I think is how you pronounce it, Jaya application for your iPhone. How did that work? Brilliant, perfect, amazing. Um, I used it at home first to make sure that I, <laughs> you know, on a familiar course around here. That's and found, unique that you would do that before a race. <laughs> I, I did put a, a minimal amount of preparation <laughs> because I knew that the risk was, was great. Um, I would be the guy that would be still out there. <laughs> But I had a great deal of confidence, and, and other people did too, of pulling their phone out. And they said, I've checked my phone. Here we are. We're in good shape. Okay. And you can see the exact, the, the whole course, and then you can expand, you know, pinch out on your phone, and you can see the direction you're traveling and the relationship, how far you are away from that course, and, you know, each time we were on. But um, it, is, uh, it was just a great comfort. That took that, that anxiety away completely. On that, drop bags, put a charger in there. Yes. So many people come in with their, their iPhones and they were, they were using that, the, the GPS, and they were like, we don't have a charger. So we were all running around trying to find chargers. Either the, I mean, for the aid stations that we had actual buildings, then we, we could plug it right in. But um, definitely some sort of like travel charger where you can charge up your phone or your GPS or your watch um, at the, each of the aid stations. Because it's not like a usual aid station where you're going to be in maybe three or four minutes. Well, some of them. But... You know, if you're going to be there for 40, 45 minutes, you can get a decent amount of charge on your phone. Yeah, yeah two to three minutes at an aid station on a 100-mile uh, run is a, is, a, is a pretty good goal. 20 minutes at a 200-mile uh, run is a comfortable, like, t like I was running with Terry um, out there. And, and uh, it's like he says, yeah, I'll wait for you, Don. No problem. I'll, I'll finish up this shake, and then we'll get down the, <laughs> down the trail. It's like it was very casual and very comfortable and just a, a real fun experience. Wow. So, so one of the things that, along with the GPS that I want to talk about that I also loved as a spectator of this year's Tahoe 200 is the spots. Mm -hmm. Every every racer is required to have a spot, which is a GPS located location thing. And so us as spectators, and Candace and I talked about this, her volunteers are able to track all the runners real time. And it's even though it's 200 miles and there's gigantic miles in between aid stations, real time you can look and find out where your runner is, what pace they're going, what their next aid station is, how far they're away, and what time that's expected to come in. I mean, it's just a, a, a brilliant amount of information that is very easily accessed. Well, can you um, talk about that, Candace? Really, what inspired I mean, you to make it mandatory? Level, it's a safety issue. We have to know, we have to be able to go out and um, track and um, know where everybody is on the course. That's part of my job is to make sure everybody gets safely to the finish line one way or another. And so the spot beacons give us a way uh, of tracking people throughout the whole race. If somebody's off course, uh, we can tell. So we could send somebody out to intercept them um, or uh, we can make sure that, the, that they eventually turn around. Um, in the case of like that T intersection that was taken down, we could see people going out. We watched it really carefully because they're three hours away from us, you know, driving. So 
then they turn around after a mile. So it wasn't too bad, but that way, you know, if somebody does go off course somewhere, we, we know exactly where they are um, within a pretty close radius. There's also a way for them to um, let us know if they're in distress. We have them cycle the spot on and off three times. And then, um, and then of course, there's a nice aspect for friends, family, and fans, so they can actually watch along. It becomes a really exciting um, thing for for those people to to watch from afar. And I know we had people from like 13 different countries and and 26 states, and and so it was sort of like an international event just watching these these little trackers go around the lake. It told a story. You know, and, and I was, uh, I came into Tahoe City and, and went up the hill a little bit in town, um, away from the aid station. And I and I was so, so surprised, not much. Why, it, why did you go up a hill? It, it just said, stay on the sidewalk. And oh, so okay. I, I did okay. what it said. And uh, and then I, I quickly came back down. But I had a, a good friend that was watching it. And he said, hey, in Tahoe City, did you go off course a little bit? And I oh, thought, wow, funny. how accurate that is. I didn't go off course much. <laughs> And it didn't set, it didn't change my final time, guys. And, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't get to say two o five point seven or anything, but but that's how accurate they are. He could see that yeah. I was off course just a bit. So well, I was very ta- cool. I, I was talking to a father of one of the runners, um, Terry. Yeah, and he was saying that he had brothers and cousins all throughout the United States, and they were all watching online this race unfold and calling you know dad saying Tim yeah yeah how, how how's he doing how's he doing we just saw that he passed the aid station were you there you know it's just he's he, even the dad was thinking this is the coolest <laughs> thing in the whole world Candace, well, you know, this was a really um, a great race yeah, i really it's, enjoyed it's really it cool thank you for building this thing people in um, from the outside to watch it who can't be there on site i know it makes people feel a lot better um and we had a guy who got off course um around uh armstrong pass and um he had left actually after the sweepers did, which we don't normally allow. So that was the first problem mistake he made. And then, but we were able to track exactly where he went and eventually send somebody out and uh, intercept him on the trail. So, and, and we actually have somebody, one person whose whole job it is to watch those trackers and make sure that people are still on course and that, um, you know, if it looks like they're going off course, he's on it immediately. So when when so, when people always email me during the event saying, "Oh, I think somebody's off course," I'm like, "Yeah, I know," because <laughs> it's just one person's job, and he makes sure that he. Because you know, I can't necessarily do that that job plus manage all the other aspects. Um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty good tool. Oh, yeah, we yeah. watched. Um, I think it was Kevin, the Irish guy, go off course. And then it was really quick because Sean was right on it and he rang him and he said, give him the directions, that was fine. (laughs) So he turned and he went the right way and we're like, he's gone the right way. And then all of a sudden he turns again the wrong way and we're all screaming at the screen, (laughs) turn the other way, turn the other way. (laughs) But but, And then in the end of it, actually his phone died, which is why I always say bring a charger. Yeah. But it was brilliant just at the start to be able to, to yeah, communicate with him and see where he was going the, the wrong way. Going down it toward, really um, I've done the TRT 100. He was going down the Red House Loop. I'm not sure why, but there was a water spigot down that way. So maybe he went to get water and then got confused. Um, but I looked up, when I saw him way out there, I looked up his phone number. I called it and his wife answered. 
<laughs> you know, over in Ireland or something. I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, do you have any way of getting a hold of him? Because if you do, I oh, can really? give him exact directions how to get back. And so she, we did this, like, phone thing where she called him and then called me back and relayed the info, and, and he got back on course and finished. Hey, Candace, do you mind if we share oh, what yeah. your uh, code name is for the Tahoe <laughs> no, 200? No, that's all good. Or is that, is that, is that something you have to experience uh, at the race itself? So, so the, I, I finally met uh, Candace at mile um, 103. It's the first time that she and I have ever met face-to-face. We've been on lots of podcasts. And uh, she had a radio, and, and, and I'm hearing things going back and <laughs> forth. And, and yep. her code name is Google. Well, <laughs> explain yeah, that, Candice. I think that's hilarious. So it's sort of like, you know, typing in the Google search engine. I don't always have the answers or, or the <laughs> ones you want. But, um, yeah, every, every, my, my call name is Google. Everybody has, um, who's on a radio has a call name. Oh, <laughs> I just think fun. that's funny. It might be well, more fun to volunteer I'll than it is to run this thing. Yeah. So you, you the guy was saying who got sure. off hey, course at Armstrong, oh, um, we, we end up, he has a new name. We call him the fugitive because <laughs> he was lost for, um, because, you know, <laughs> he had left after the course markings were out and wasn't really supposed to. Um, and he kept going down different trails and we would send, we sent some medics up that trail to get him and then he turns around and goes back the other way. And finally he's almost to heavenly. We have somebody there and then he books it, turns around and runs all the way back to Star Lake. Uh, well, the guy I had going after him, it's called the sheriff on the call thing. So he had to run eight miles out to catch him when he was only within one mile to begin with. But this guy was just, he was on, I don't think he wanted to get caught. <laughs> Fugitive. That's funny. Um, so one thing that we have to talk about is uh, we, we, we started, but we need to talk about the specialized equipment that, that, someone that's running this race needs to consider. And and one of the things that Don was a complete convert, it's actually three things that I, I can remember that Don is a complete convert. Trekking poles, it's the first time you've ever used trekking poles. Um, I don't walk across the uh, street without trekking poles now. They're You'll awesome, love them, huh? We'll love them, we'll love them. Yeah. Um, and then the other one is um, the bandana. Explain the bandana. <laughs> Well, Scott, I mean, they've been around since since the Cowboys and the Indians yeah, back but in there, the day. I, I only saw one person wearing the bandana the way that you did. <laughs> it'll it'll change. Yeah, it's going to be like the, the Jim Walmsley uh, cut-off T-shirt. Now everybody's going to be wearing bandanas. No, I think I'd have to finish in 59 hours like the, like the winner to make that happen. But bandanas are so useful. Yeah. I mean, a tool for every problem, the bandana comes in as the answer. I mean, it could be a tourniquet. It could be... I mean, we could use our imagination and, and come up with, with uh, a use for that bandana. But um, when it's hot out and you've got heat coming down the side of your face and the back of your neck, there's nothing better than having a shield around you. So I just throw that bandana over my head and put my hat on top of it. And it may not be fashionable, but it's truly functional. Well, and you were saying you were, you were dipping it in water, too. Yeah. That, so so that, you dip that, it in the water, put it underneath your hat, and have it come down. And it, just drip. It is the perfect tool, I tell you. I I love that bandana, and it dries out, and then it, another stream comes by. I just dip it in it, put it over my head, and you just get this beautiful bath. It's like air bath. conditioning. <laughs> it's like air conditioning. Those miles are almost like free miles. They don't even count. Okay, so the, the, the third thing that I can remember is gators. 
mm-hmm. used gators on this one. I don't know if I've ever heard or remembered you using gators before. I, I used gators 10 years ago back at Western States when there was snow and I didn't want to get all the snow mm-hmm. stuff down on my shoe. And that's the last time I've worn gators. But boy, we had a lot of dust through Rubicon area. It was uh, You've seen some of those videos if you watched on Facebook or some different social media uh, channel where Candace was marking trail and stomping in this dust, which looked great from the video and from my computer monitor. But in reality, that dust is a challenge. And so I wanted to make sure I didn't get uh, that other, that dust inside of my shoe to create some blisters. I didn't want to uh, um, end up with uh, unnecessary problems. So the gators were great. Donna, you saw a lot of different runners out there. What pieces of equipment surprised you or as you were a considering running this next year, what what pieces of equipment? Give me your top three pieces of equipment that you will not run without. Uh, well, I use trekking poles, okay. uh, mainly because I've run in Europe and everybody in Europe run, uh, uses trekking poles, so they're a must. And I think I think most people had poles. I didn't 95%, see percent, yeah. I would say, very few. Yeah, I think most people really saw the benefit of them. Uh, definitely gators. Uh, I think they're one thing that, that we don't generally use that much, particularly in the UK. Uh, but definitely with the, the sand, I think that would be good. Um, and in gingy socks, everybody was wearing in gingy socks. Um, we actually had one girl, and we seen her at mile 190. And she had feet. They were beautiful. Everybody had these <laughs> ugly feet <laughs> with all these blisters. We were all taking photos going, who's got the worst feet? This girl took her socks off, <laughs> and I, everybody just gathered and started taking <laughs> photos. You heard this music hey, playing. Do you mind if I take a picture, a <laughs> selfie with, with, with your, your feet, feet with me and my... <laughs> Travis did. <laughs> really? They were just... And we said, we were then, how, how are your feet? I mean, she looked like she had just had a pedicure. Wow. And she said that every single aid station, she took her socks off, she wiped them down with baby wipes or washed them and put uh, some sort of run goo or something on them, some powder on them, and a fresh pair of gingies at every single aid station. Wow. Mm. If you had the feet that looked That's like that, you would show them off too as often as you could. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would never wish Candice, you were going to say something um, a moment ago. Definitely one of my keys to success running these long distances because it, separating your toes like that, I think it's really important to keep like the heat down, uh, to keep like particles out from between your toes. Um, I, I can't wear any other socks now um, so I wear those and then like the ultra shoes. So like you definitely want to have shoes for an event like this that are going to give your feet enough space that feel really comfortable and then maybe have like a few sizes up later on. Did you do that, Don? Did you have like larger size shoes or were you okay? You did. Uh, <laughs> no, I started with the larger size shoe, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, and but. And, and I changed, I went from uh, the Superior, the Ultra Superior for the first yes. uh, 103, and then changed to the Olympus for the second, and really enjoyed the extra cushion. And I, I really debated, and I'd, I'd love to hear other people's opinions. Should I have started with the Olympus, the higher cushion shoe from the beginning? If I looked forward so much to that cushion, maybe I should have started with it. But psychologically, I couldn't wait to get to 103 to get the new feel and to feel that that was kind of a, a line of, of, of transition between first and second half. So my question before you send it around the round table, what would you do again? Would you start with the Olympus from the very, from 
trail number mile one? I'm, I'm still com- complex. I think I'd go with the ultra, uh, the ultra superior, because uh, I, I I really liked the transition, being able to look forward look to something forward new to something. and feel something different. As I was out there running, I thought, you know, now that I've changed this shoe, that wouldn't I would have been tired of the old shoe anyway. Uh, and so now I, I had a real good, you know, fresh outlook in life. So I liked that. How about you, I Candace? Am. What would you I, do? Would you? I would probably. I know have, you're a superior um, wearer two to four pairs of, of new superiors like along the way. Um, but I, I just like the superiors because even though they don't have as much cushioning, um, they put my foot close enough to the ground that I'm not going to turn my ankle. And with all the rocks and, you know, the varying terrain, tired feet, I'd probably mm. stick with them. Um, they just fit the best for my feet. But I think everybody, everybody's so different. You really have to pick. You need to learn what shoe works for you before you do an event like this. You don't want to, if you're sending me an email like two weeks from the event, like, oh, what shoes should I wear? We're going to worry about you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wait, 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 wait. Somebody <laughs> actually asked you what shoe to wear? It's- that would scare the daylights out of me if I was a race exactly. director. What, it, it, what are you asking me for? I don't, I don't know what your feet look like. <laughs> I made sure I put the rock plate inside the uh, Superior. That was something. Oh, did you? I, yeah, it's something oh, I've never done. I've, I've gone through, you know, many, many, many pairs of, of Superiors and wore them out and, and have a collection of, <laughs> of the optional rock plate. But, yeah, a whole stack of them. Yeah, but I, <laughs> but I felt it was important to not take a risk of stepping on something, you know, real sharp. There was a guy, and he, at mile 44, he told me he was going to change into his sandals. I think he was wearing Innovits to begin with. I don't know if he did or nobody not. Nobody finishing. Did you see no, anybody finishing in them? In but the there were people wearing like the Luna, Luna sandals at various points on the course. Um, and yeah. I think it would uh-huh. be a little hard for the first 60 miles because it is so much dustier. Um, or maybe, you know, later on, then it's a little sandier. So I don't know. I guess for me, I, I like to um, protect my toes a little bit more. Um, but if you're used to wearing something like that, it's possible yeah yeah I, I kicked a branch that was on the side of the trail which is, we all do it from time to time and and you know where you can really make a lot of noise with the kick and and you even grunt or you know make a noise audibly even louder than your your branch where people around you go are you all right and I thought to myself I am so glad <laughs> I'm not wearing sandals because I would have just tore my toes right off my foot okay Along that topic, yeah. I, ju- I just returned Don's superiors that he ran the first 103 with. They've been in the back of my truck all this time. And as I was carrying them in uh, to the office here. Yeah. No, the you, studio. You, the studio. Stu- oh, sorry. The studio. Yeah. Studio G. Yeah. You should look at those. The front part of those <laughs> yeah. is just beat to snot. The front part of your shoes. Oh, it looks really? like you kicked every rock well, yeah. <laughs> between one, uh, mile one and 103. It, well, so speaking of that, if I did kick every rock, I, I never face planted, and that's because of the trekking poles. Now, typically during a 100-mile race, I expect at least one time, maybe twice, if I'm not lucky, not careful, I'll do a face plant. We all kind of get a little bit of that. But that trekking pole through the 205 miles and even more fatigue Never a fall. I, I don't want to jinx myself yeah, for the next yeah. one, Candace, because, yeah, you might oh, have nope. me for one Did you more. hear that? Did you hear that? You yeah. might, the you might, next one. You might have the next one. But that, that trekking pole, that, that trekking pole, you just kick it out there real quick. Everybody that is bored with this comment that I'm going to make that's never used them. Boy, it gave me just a half a second to get that other foot planted so I didn't, my next step wasn't my face. I've done that. Yeah, the bigger danger with the trekking poles is putting them in your own foot. 
Yeah. yeah. I've done that. <laughs> uh, my few trial test, you, did test you do runs. It? I did it right in front of another runner coming the other way, and we both laughed. We didn't even say anything. We just, <laughs> we, we just laughed. And Hold on. In his foot or your foot? No. My foot. <laughs> I tripped myself. No, I tripped myself, and he looked at me and laughed, and I laughed, and I said, well, what are you, you going to do? Just keep running, Freeman. So so I, I do know that it's 200 miles, and there's 100-some-odd runners that were running it. Did, when you were tight together, did you feel like there was uh, any threat of somebody poking you in the eye with oh, these? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. No no threat. The biggest threat was my own my own uh, poking myself in the eye, probably. Okay. No. I had a guy that, that uh, left his poles. He stopped on the side of the trail to take care of some business. And then he, all of a sudden, he was coming <laughs> oh, running no. back. And I, we go, where are you going? And he goes, I forgot my poles. <laughs> yeah, there was a few at the aid stations. <laughs> we had to run down after them. Hey, hey, Donna. So you're again. You're preparing to do this next year. Um, what kind of what what would be your shoe sock strategy for next year, after seeing what all the carnage out there? Yeah, I like the idea of changing shoes. I, if I run a hundred, I'll change shoes sort of halfway. So I mean, definitely in gingies. I'm definitely going to to wash the feet down and change socks <laughs> at every single aid station. Mm. My ambition is to have her sh- her feet. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing is we've got a year now. To plan, Don. Just right. Scott. Yeah. Scott. No, a year to plan. Don, Don planned for about, <laughs> uh, what, 11 days? <laughs> no. It's been in the back of my head in a I while. Know, I, I know. Like yeah. I know. So I think you've got you to gotta prep your feet more than just a few weeks out. You've got to start now. You've got to be working them, uh, making sure that they're soft, making sure that they're tough. And then one month out, you've really got to work on it. Tan your feet. You know, do whatever you can. How do tan you, them. How do you, tan out the sun? How do you do that? Oh, we have, no, no, no. We have uh, cr- like a, a product that no. we call Tan. I'm curious. I don't know the name of it now, but. Do you know about uh, this, Candice? <laughs> oh, we have, we use a, and it's a, fr- it's a French, because my boyfriend's French. So um, there's a French company called, uh, n- they produce the nut cream, which is a bit like Rangu. Uh-huh. And they also have this Tan. Huh. So you just spray it on, on your skin and it strengthens your skin. Uh, so we use that about a month out. And it stops you getting blisters. Um, huh. so, but you need to you need to prepare this. Okay, when this podcast's over, I need you to find <laughs> it on, on the <laughs> internet because I need to find something. Yeah, I think feet were the most important. Like when we were talking to people, they you know sleep is, is an issue, but but definitely those that had good feet were were happy to continue, and they were a lot quicker through the aid stations. We only had one medic. You know, and you you can't ask for any more than that. So we sometimes we have maybe three or four people lined up. Uh, maybe they wanted to get their feet washed. Maybe they, they had uh, tape already on them. You had to take the tape off. There was a lot of work to it. So the less that you can take time doing those things, then that's going to help you at, at the end of the day. I want to make some comments about the food. because I was just going there, Freeman. <clears throat> well, good. Uh, go ahead. Ask the question, Scott. No, I was going to say one of the things that you mentioned mm-hmm. specifically, and mm-hmm. I remember when you saw Candace on the course, you mentioned to her, thank you for the food. Mm-hmm. It's real food, uh, avocados, fresh tomatoes. Uh, you said the sandwiches were amazing. So, so elaborate. Well, I mean, it was, you, you saw, if you've watched any of the social media, you see that she shopped at Costco and filled carts, carts of real food that you would have at your own home. The sandwiches were built like you were building your own favorite double-decker sandwiches. They had cheese on it and spinach on it or lettuce and tomatoes and and they were just good. Saltines. They have saltines. If there, you don't? wanted them, but it, it wasn't like a standard aid station where you'd walk up and get some chips and some Oreos and uh, you know a cliff um, block and and off you go. They were there was real food at every station. They and took your good order, food. huh? 
when you came in, they said, okay, <laughs> this did. is what do you want? This is what we have. We can have a you can have a hot dog, you can have a sandwich, we have burgers. What do you want? I, I had bacon cheeseburgers. I had uh, tortilla wraps with with uh, um, ham and cheese and spinach and tomatoes in it wrapped up. I had two of those at one <laughs> aid station. It was so good. I said, this is great. And he goes, you want another one? I go, yeah, can I? <laughs> and and uh, just everything was so, so good. There was I fruit. remember one aid station worker wanted you to eat some more uh, grapes and something <laughs> else. And, and you said, no, I'm... Was it you? Yeah. I kept was giving people grapes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway... You, I, it was you. Yeah, you put, you That's put why two she's ziplocs together and said, "Here's some doggy bags to take." <laughs> yeah, that was you. I'm yeah, sorry. I was, I was trying to get people to eat more food, and it, when they ate so much of the aid stations, I was like, "Take some more with you." We were like making burritos. We were wrapping them up to go. We were putting burgers <laughs> in uh, tin foil and putting them in. We made loads of doggy bags. But the grapes, the grapes were very popular, and the guacamole. If you didn't yeah, have guacamole, so there was guacamole everywhere. Yes, yeah. Candace. To focus on like what people want, and we even learned more this year. But we were like, okay, we're gonna have so much bacon. They're gonna send some back. There's gonna be burgers. There's gonna be vegetarian options. Yeah, there's a Put lot it. of bacon. Um, people. There was a bacon. lot of bacon. Um, so lots I saw of, a lot of bacon. Uh, variety. Um, eggs. People eat a lot of eggs, like um, breakfast burritos or breakfast sandwiches. Um, hash browns, stuff like that. So we focused on these these things we knew people would eat a lot of, and then cut out some random like snacky things that people never end up eating. Like we would get a lot of cheese it stuff like that in the past, um, and then people would just want a burger. They want real food. When you've been out there that long, what keeps you going is having looking forward to like you know the pizza or the burgers or uh, burritos. So we really worked hard to make sure mm -hmm. all the aid stations had enough. No. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of call for the sweet stuff. You know, we had lots of like the M&Ms and little chocolate bars and things and people just weren't weren't interested. I think the fruit, the the uh, watermelon yeah. and the grapes went down really well and then they just wanted proper food. Mm. There's a couple of things I stuffed stuffed in my drop bag and and I, I've got to tell you that anybody that's been out there that's done this will attest to this being the true is a payday candy bar. That payday, 240 calories with... The paydays in, in No, Europe? we don't have these. No, oh, no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get you, a, you and Ludo a, uh, a payday so you can <laughs> enjoy the experience. And, and you can trade us with this tan stuff that <laughs> we're talking about. <laughs> I'm going to send you some over. I mean, this simple candy bar, if you wrapped it in some trail marking... Or bacon. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, if you took this candy bar and you, you took off the commercial wrapper and you put it in some super trail type of wrapper, you could sell that thing for 7 or $8, this candy bar. <laughs> hey, shh, that was my idea. That, like that is such a powerful fuel. Yeah, I like the bacon idea. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Dipped in guacamole. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That does sound like it, it, would, it would go over well. Don't um, the other thing as well is we had quite a lot of vegans. I was actually surprised uh, how many hmm. uh, vegans were, were running. And, uh, but, you know, we can only provide so much at the aid station. And what we kept saying to them is, you know, you've got drop bags. If you want to put something in a drop bag, we'll cook it for you. Hmm. You know, you bring it to us. We had these little, uh, like, gas stoves. We were like, you bring us something, we'll cook it up for you. No bother. But I think they were a little bit maybe unprepared. Like, if you wanted something, like... This one guy was like, oh, I always eat cashew nuts mm. um, on the races. I was like, oh, great. Do you have some in your drop bag? <laughs> he was like, no. I said, yeah, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> what if you always eat them? 
bring them. And, you know, Candice was, was great about the drop bags. I mean, people had these huge, huge bags with all of this, like, first year and <laughs> extra socks. I was like, you couldn't have thrown a few nuts in there? <laughs> like, so this is the one thing that I learned was any, if this food I particularly want, you know, don't be shy. Put it in, the, in into the drop bags. Uh, I'm, like, we'll, the, the stations was really good and, like, being able to prepare stuff. We had a guy who, um, that reminds me, who would have a gin and tonic in every drop bag. <laughs> you know, it's like... It's, I've seen that. Yeah. <laughs> so if you, yeah, if you want something, and we'll have stuff like that at some aid stations. You'll have gin and tonic? Well, we, we had whiskey and uh, tequila. Fireball. <laughs> fireball at the last one. We had fireball, yeah. Um, but, you know, there's... I think what, yeah, what we, we want to make clear to people too is that, that we do have to decide what to buy and we can't buy a little of everything. We have to focus on um, getting bulk in certain areas. And so um, I think we will sort of put that out a little bit more this year because um, I think you probably do see a higher percentage of vegetarians and vegans um, in races like this because it's it's a um, unique kind of healthy well, sort of healthy event. <laughs> I mean, obviously, you know, depending on how you run the 205 miles, but people, you know, it can or cannot be healthy, but people who are involved in that tend to have specific diet needs. Um, and so, yeah, get your drop bags ready for that or ask the race ahead of time what they have. Candace, um, can you explain to me how we do this healthy? Uh, the, the 205 miles. <laughs> how are yeah. you feeling, Don? <laughs> where, did, where did I miss here? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's, that's a good answer. <laughs> no, I, I think there's, there is tremendous benefit to running this race. My, my life is enriched because of the decision to say, yes, I want to run it. I met the most amazing people from, from volunteers to, to co-runners that I ran with to, to, um, to the race director and, and her immediate team. Uh, I just... Donna that, and Ludo. We have new friends here. Right, right. I, I just, I just love the entire experience, and I want to do one again because of uh, just what I lived through. Don, I want to watch you do it again. No, you're going to run one too, <laughs> because because friends share, Scott, and I feel that you should share in what I've and shared with. Well, I mean, I was talking to a lot of the other volunteers as well, and quite a few of them. If they didn't want to do it by the start, they definitely wanted to do it by the end. That's so I think it's a great yeah. way to contagious. Can't Candace, you've started something very, very big. Your vision, as we started in the beginning, we said, "I want you to see my creation." Your creation is more than a course, a marked course. You're you've created a a whole community of of enthusiasts, and and that's going to be very satisfying. It is. It's. I I had no idea when I created the Tower Two Hundred that it was going to be like a two hundred mile thing. Because I just, it so happened that to get around Lake Tahoe um, was going to be about 200 miles because um, we had to go around Desolation Wilderness and, you know, we went all the way out into the Crystal Basin. So you actually see things on this route that if you just came out into the Tahoe Rim Trail, you wouldn't see um, some of these amazing areas. So once I, once I had sort of seen um, that first year how people reacted to the route, I was like, wow, you know, I'm, I'm hooked too. Like I want to create another race for you guys to do. And then came the Bigfoot. Um, and then for next year, right now, currently I'm working on, and people are getting real excited, but the Moab 200 is going to be like Tahoe, a single huge loop around with sort of Moab at its northernmost part um, into several mountain ranges. And, and that area is just world-class. So 
getting pretty excited. How about you guys? Is this one you're going to do, Scott? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I need to get me some tan stuff for my feet first. <laughs> you, need to get some, you need to get practiced up on your poles. You need yeah. to, you need to uh, learn how to uh, change your, your get shoes. Get gators. Yeah, all that good you gotta stuff. you got to practice taking the gingies on and off so you can do it like really fast. Yeah, yeah. that's impossible. That is, that, is, that is one thing that you can't do fast is put on a pair of gingies. <laughs> but you got a year to practice now. So. And well worth well, it. Well, I've got a technique with the Injinjis because I always seem to have pairs that don't match. And so uh-huh. I'll put one on inside out and the other on right, and then I have matching pair. There you it's go. <laughs> Somebody turned up to the aid station, and he pulled out his Injinjis, and I remember, I can't remember, one of you guys done this. It was Don. Done Don. This. <laughs> and he pulled one out, and he had two right socks. Uh, I thought he was going to just explode. And I ran over to him, no, 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 it's Okay. I've heard on Trail Runner Nation, <laughs> you could turn them inside out. And he was like, oh my God, that's an amazing idea. So that saved his race. Because that was like mile 44. Like that's uh, not where you wanted to go wrong. No, no. So I'm looking forward. This has been a really fun discussion. And it's been fun to relive um, and, and, and talk about it. Part two, we'll be recording and releasing a week later. Uh, and that's where we get into the, the specific carnage. The carnage of, of, of Don's mental and psychological and physical uh, journey. And not at my request. AJW and Jimmy Dean and, and Sally. Sally have requested to... Lee McKinley requested to be here, too. Yeah. He wanted to see part of that carnage. Well, I, I think they want to try to remind me of uh, some of the things that I've forgotten. Yeah. They may have witnessed a few. So, Candace Burt, we want to thank you for your vision and your uh, courage and your insanity <laughs> for creating such a wonderful race. I think that everybody that has an inkling of, of trying and going somewhere uh, a little bit further and deeper than they thought should look at these races. I think that everybody listening should volunteer. Uh, I was telling Don the other day, I, I'm motivated to go volunteer for one of these races because it is it's an amazing electricity out there in the, at the aid station. Well, you'll get a nickname, and oh. you'll and you'll learn what that string thing is called. That's, That's true. Right. So you got to find that out. Yeah. I mean, everybody's going to be on the edge of their seats till next year. Could we <laughs> can we Google that and find out what that string is, or do we have to actually call the Google on the radio? Yeah, oh, Google or no, you'll have to come out and course mark, and then. Um, You'll get this beautiful course marking um, award, which maybe you guys could put a picture on your um, website. Send it to me. Send it to me. I'll send it. Yeah, I think with the, with the volunteer, I would encourage everybody to go out there and volunteer, either if it's just a small race or if you can't get out to one of these big races. But for me, it's been a fantastic holiday. Like we've really, you were here for 10 days. We've made a lot of friends. I've added more people on Facebook in the last few days <laughs> than, than ever before. And it's just a really good way to learn because everybody's so open. Like we were really, really taken aback about how people just came to us and said, what do you need? Do you want to come and stay at my house? Do you need a shower? Because we were going running. <laughs> they were like, do you want to come and shower at my house afterwards? They were just so open and, and wanting to help. And even in the... The, even the pacers that hung around afterwards, you know, they would come and we would talk and everybody's swapping tips and said, have you seen this? This guy brought this trail butter out to me and was like, have a look at this. This is brilliant. Everybody's like swapping tips. And and we just couldn't get over how nice and welcoming. Hospital L- Ludo, was this a, a, as, as good a vacation holiday as you thought it would be? It is? Okay. He's giving <laughs> thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> He's, I'm, gonna t- I'm talking him into running it by next year. I've got a full year. Talk Ludo, Ludo ended up coming here on, on holiday, and how much how much of the course did you end up running? 
100 miles. 100 miles. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Because he was pacing, uh, one guy, and then we were qu- uh, sweeping. Sweepers. As well. And then we just got out and run some of it as well. <laughs> so so in, 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 in wrapping up, you know, if you've, if you've run a, a distance and then you've doubled it sometime in your career, you've run a marathon and now you've run 50 mile, or you've done 50 mile, then you stretch out to 100. It's all possible. And, and it's just putting the point between start and finish and your brain wraps your, it's, it, the distance and figures it out. Wrapped in bacon. (laughs) And one of the things that worried me, um, I know how I felt after a hundred miles and sitting down for a bit that I could barely walk. And I thought, how am I going to get to mile 103 at Heavenly, lay down and get up and walk? That's going to be near impossible. But Yes, Scott. I, I want to say something along that line. It better be I know, good. I know you're. I know you're on a roll, I know you're trying to wrap up here, but I need to say this. I saw you at two different aid stations. Where you, one of them you slept at. Yeah. And the other one, you were there for half hour, maybe even an hour, right? And every time you got up, whether it was from sleeping for an hour or or sitting in the chair for a little bit, and you started back on the trail. I was surprised that you weren't stiff and kind of moving a little bit slow until you got the, the, the rhythm going again. However, at the finish line, you sat down for a little bit and then walked over to your Jeep, and it was like watching a 90-year-old man walk. And I, think, I, I, I was thinking, this is very, very interesting to me how the brain works. You knew that you were done and your brain or physiolog- physiologically or something, I don't know what it was, but or mentally coagulated, and it made it, you were done, and, and now you could feel the pain and, and, and limp to your car. Whereas on the course, your brain said, I'm not done with this race. And physiologically, you didn't have that same coagulation. That's amazing. I may argue with a few of your terms, but <laughs> your your thought was exactly what I was trying to express. You know, you can you, argue with a lot of the terms <laughs> throughout all of the podcasts. I I speak wrong English. It it, it it was just that experience. One of the things I was most concerned about was how am I going to run past 100? Because at at 100, I'm finished. But I was wasn't finished until I was finished. Mm-hmm. And so I encourage anyone that wonders and cons- and and has a concern that can I do it. The answer is yes, you can. You just have to go do it. And with that, I'm I'm getting a little (laughs) verklempt. So those of you who are thinking about participating or volunteering at this race, when when does the when does the registration open for uh, Tahoe 200? Well, for 2017, um, it'll actually open this November 5th um, at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, and we'll have, uh, 200 spots open this year. We, we had 140 this year and we, we had the biggest, we had about 110 people before, uh, that week before when people decide, oh, maybe I can't do this. So got down, we started 103 runners. So we're really hoping to get up, um, closer to 200. How, how, where did they go to register, Candace? Um, if you go to the Tahoe200.com site, we'll have a link from there. Okay. But it'll be on Ultra Sign Up. Um, I'll set that all up uh, in the next couple of weeks. And people shouldn't delay because these spots are going to fill up quick as it becomes more popular and people are more aware of it and, and realize it is doable because a friend of yours has run it. They, you know that you can do it. So I'd say get out there and sign up. Is there incentive to signing up early, Candace? 
Yeah, yeah. The cheapest prices will be um, starting starting in November, and then the prices will go up um, probably January first. I think that's when we usually raise it, um, and then there's a few other price changes throughout. But yeah, if you sign up early in November, you're gonna get the lowest price you can. And you can start your training early. Exactly. Yeah, make your make your plans. Start studying the runner's manual. Um, yeah, all that kind of stuff. Start uh, training with some trekking poles and get yeah, yourself. Yeah. And get your feet tanned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, now go out and run. Mas.